Coming to you from the Badlands of Texas, 360 degrees around the earth from Southern Australia to Northern Ireland. You're listening to or you're watching Midnight Radio. I'm your host, Gerard. <laughs> Mints. Damn, how are you doing on this Friday, this Fruit Loop Friday, everybody? I hope you're doing great. There are some crazy things going on out there this week. First of all, I'd like to thank our executive producer. I could not be more thankful for this lady. Lady Lisa, everybody. I'd also like to thank our producer, Annabelle Stealth. Oh, shit, wrong button, sorry. All right, and I would like to thank our producer, Laura. Laura helps me get the paperwork I need from Idaho, everybody. So thank you very much, Laura. Appreciate that very much. I'd like to say hello to our DJs out there. You heard the pre-show, and that had DJ Drano clearing the drain. And believe me, there's a lot of nasty things in that drain, but he cleared it out. That's why we have a pre-show. Now you can get the flow into Fruit Loop Friday. Thank you, DJ Drano. I'll have to change your name to Dr. Drano. Thank you very much. I'd also like to thank DJ Hot Ham, DJ Electra. DJ Julianne, DJ Johnny Vincent, and DJ Primrose, whose show will come on right after the show with Prim's playlist. All right. We have a little bit of paperwork to go over for the Idaho Four. So here we go. Let's start that. Let's get that ready. Oh, the phone line is open, 325-261-0892. This show that you're watching right now, somebody said it's Pellegrino O'Clock. But no, it's Topa Chico clock. And apparently I've had it out so long it tastes room temperature, so that's awesome. Maybe the green Pellegrino bottle keeps in the coolness a little bit more. All right, here we go. There's a lot. The things are going to blow your mind today, absolutely blow your mind. The phone lines are now open, 325 This is only open. Right now, it is only open to Fruit Loops, which are members of Midnight Radio. You have to be a member. There's three different levels. Any levels considered a member. Okay, first thing we're going to go over is the paperwork. And boy, is there a significant amount of it tonight. I'm going to do two things. I'm going to do one thing I never do. The thing I always do is give you my phone number and uh, nobody ever calls the damn thing. This time I'm going to give you a link so you can jump up on panel. You don't have to have your webcam enabled or a camera enabled, but you can have your audio enabled. And as we're going through these things, it won't seem like I'm talking to myself. So if one of you want to hit that up, 
Maybe we'll hear Elise's beautiful voice for the first time. You never know what's going to happen on Fruit Loop Friday. Let's go over this paperwork right here. Uh... All right. So this isn't the first piece of paperwork I looked over for Idaho for today, but actually it's the last one. But it was interesting, nonetheless. Here now comes Brian C. Nothingburger, buying through his attorney, Jay Weston Logsdon, chief deputy litigation, and hereby submits the following. Don't you love how they make these bullshit names for themselves? Wow. Anyway, he submits the following reply to the state's objection to his previously filed motion to dismiss the indictment for error in the instruction as to the standard of proof or to Remand for preliminary hearing. Now, guys, I don't know how to put enough emphasis on what a bullshit, stupid-ass, jackass, fart-sniffing, uh, armpit-licking, dog-vomit, fucking pig-shit, butt-chug idea this was. And I'm pretty sure it came right from Brian Kohlberger to his lawyers. Now, this is what I want you to do. Damn it. No, you're my lawyer, and this is what I say. This is the stupidest shit that I've ever read on paper before, and I've read some pretty bad stuff. Saying that the way a grand jury indictment has been wrong through the iteration of history, and now when it comes to Brian C. Fucknut Kohlberger, it needs to be changed. You know, there's shit like this, and you guys can say what you want. There's a lot of people that think Brian is guilty, there's a lot of people that swear to God he is innocent, and me, I'm in the middle. I'm like a fucking wall with ideas bouncing off back and forth. But when I see shit like this, I'm thinking, this guy's fucking insane. I think he did it. If I just went off of this about the indictment, which, again, it doesn't work like this. You don't have to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that the son of a bitch did it in the indictment. You could... The thing you're supposed to show that he could have done it. And then it goes to trial. Did he do it or not? Not in the indictment. This is total bullshit. And I think he has the balls. It's not balls. It's insanity because he doesn't have balls because what he did wasn't in the daylight. He didn't do it and say, yeah, I did it. What? Nope. He's a fucking rat. This is what makes me think he did it. This is what makes me think he's a rat. If you have a problem with that, you take that link down there and tell me, explain it to me, or you can call that phone number. And the phone number is 325-261-0892. But this paperwork, well, let's just say Judge Judge, right here, first paragraph, I'm expecting you to call him on his bullshit. One. There is no Idaho Supreme Court authority binding on this court as to the standard of proof for a grand jury. The state begins by arguing that Edmondson contains a holding binding upon this court that the standard of proof for a grand jury is probable cause. State's brief is state's brief at two. The state insists this was a holding because the Supreme Court relied upon it to come to two conclusions. The use of a grand jury as opposed to a preliminary hearing did not violate equal protection. 
And then a court may set aside an indictment lacking probable cause. The issue then is, did it matter to the court that the standard is proclaimed for a grand jury was probable cause? All right, I'm going to stop right here, and I'm going to tell you guys this. Starting with equal protection claim, I'm stopping right here. I'm going to get back to it. There's something I need to tell you guys. Guys, I need your help. I really do need your help. I got an email from Spotify today, and that is our podcast distributor for Midnight Radio. And I got an email saying that their new qualification for ads is a thousand listens a month. I'm sorry, a thousand listens every 60 days from different IP addresses. Okay. It posed, it used to be a hundred and they went from a hundred to a thousand. Okay. And I hate to bring this up. But this is a big issue. Now we do pretty good on our podcast. I'm not going to lie, but I'm be honest with you. So here, <laughs> hot ham's making me laugh. So here's where we're at. We have about 780 listens every 60 days. We're not quite at a thousand. We have 10, 000, over 10,000 people that are here on YouTube. Could you guys please, for God's sakes, for the love of all humanity, go and listen to five damn minutes of the podcast if you want. If you want, I swear. Man, where is Robomod when you need him? I don't have the, okay, guys, I'll tell you what, I don't have the shit right here with me. Damn it. All right. No, no, no. Here, seriously, I need your help. I need your help. How do, how, how do I do that, Jerry? Cool. Here, share, share, share. Watch it yourself. Just five freaking minutes. Okay. All right. Go to my about page. It has a link to Spotify on there. Click on that damn thing. We're at 700 or something. I just need a thousand and we have like 10,000 on here. Help me out. I don't know what's going on. All right. I'm going to continue here. I just needed to bring that to you. I meant to mention it in the first, but I forgot. My damn chair is sinking down. Oh, oh. all right. Here we go. All right. Continuing this fabulous paperwork in the most bullshit argument that's ever been entered in judiciary history in America. Starting with the equal protection claim, the answer is clearly no. The court's, the court's holding as to Mr. Edmonds's equal protection challenge was it was a cloak for a request to place a limit on prosecution discretion. The court refused. The state insisted that the next line's claiming that a grand jury was has the same purpose as a preliminary hearing are what cinched it for prosecutorial discretion. However, the issue of the standard of proof was not before the court. Mr. Edmondson wanted the ability to call witnesses and challenge his case in a preliminary hearing. He took no issue with the standard. The court determined he could not be denied those rights because the prosecutor's reasons for choosing a grand jury instead were valid. That was the holding, not that somehow the lower standard of probable cause saved the day for grand juries as opposed to the balanced approach of a preliminary, a preliminary hearing. The state's claim that there is a holding dealing with sufficient evidence required is not quite accurate. The actual issue was whether admission of hearsay required the indictment to be thrown out. The defendant did not even challenge whether there was sufficient evidence after the hearsay was excised from the proceeding. 
Thus, the state's claims that this is a holding are simply erroneous. The state goes on to say that the unexamined issue of the standard of proof for a grand jury is set in black letter law because, of course, I've been using probable cause, state's brief at four through five. An issue of first impression is not somewhat set in stone by cases that relied on unchallenged court rules. The Idaho Supreme Court has never considered the constitutionality. Thus, this court is free to do so. So, in other words, what he's saying is, judge, you have the freedom to challenge this. That's not good. You have the right to challenge this, judge. It's never been challenged before. It's not even brought up to the Supreme Court because it's always been this way. But, judge, you know, you can challenge this. Brian fucking Kohlberger knows better than you that you can challenge this. Fuck what you know. This accused murderer, he knows better than you. This is what the judge is hearing, all right? This is what the judge is hearing, and I'm not afraid to tell you, especially since this member's only. like to interpret that legalese for you. Take that bullshit out of it and get to the heart of the matter. The state's next argument is that despite its plain language, actually it has to be transposed into probable cause because the Idaho Supreme Court adopted a rule on the same issue, which according to the state, forces the court to abandon the usual rules of statutory interpretation. The Idaho Supreme Court remarked once in dicta that it did not think the statute set the standard at beyond a reasonable doubt. Gasper versus 7th Judicial District 74. The phrase in their judgment means no one should question what a grand jury does. States brief at 6.7. The word warrant in 1862 meant to authorize, to give authority or power to do so, or forbearing anything by which the person authorized is secured or saved harmless from any loss or damage by the act. California Supreme Court's decision is persuasive authority. The debate, the debate at the Idaho Constitutional Convention demonstrates a knowledgeable group clearly aware of the laws in effect in the territory. Organizing the state's arguments, we have two relating to the plain meaning of the statute, two relating to judicial interpretations, an argument about the separation of powers, presumably in an argument from history. A plain language of the statute does not help the state's case, especially if we are speaking in 1862. The state's argument as to the plain language of the statute is confusing at best, while warrant today might give the state some wiggle room to advance a reasonable foundation argument. Its own quote from 1862 permits no such reading. You know what? If I was a judge and someone's bringing this 1860 stuff, get the fuck out of my office. What do you think Judge Judge is going to do? That's right, Fruit Lou. He's going to say, get the fuck out of my office. Why then does the state claim to authorize, to give authority or power to do? Somehow shows that a grand jury was permitted to act at a lower standard of proof. The state's argument as to what in their judgment means is even more confusing the case decided seemed to merely indicate the grand jury's ability to nullify. 
Certainly in Idaho and other states that have adopted the field codes, the ability to challenge their judgment was adopted by statute. Even if it were not so, the state has already noted that Edmondson permits such challenges. Beat history does not help the state's case. The state offers that which the defense has already acknowledged. William Claggett claimed grand juries decide things on the basis of probable Oh, Ashley. Damn it, Ashley. I'll speak to you in a minute, Ashley. That was inappropriate. Where the hell was I? We're talking about underwear. What? And the defense already explained why he was mistaken. All right. The state offers that which the defense has already acknowledged. William Claggett claimed grand juries decide things on the basis of probable cause. And the defense already explained why he was mistaken. Yeah, the defense. They're training. They're teaching all of you. They're spanking your ass. They're putting your butt cheeks on the grill like some fine beef patties, right? That's what I'm reading here. Judge, judge, you're going to let this stand. In the words of our Supreme Court, our founders took a belt and suspenders approach to anticipating and assuage congressional concerns about admitting Idaho to the union. You know what? I think that this junior lawyer that wrote this is really proud of himself, and he's enjoying this public stage he's in. That issue in that particular debate was whether to permit preliminary hearings because... Damn it, stop it, stop it. Ashley, stop it. Where's our technical director? At issue in that particular debate was whether to prevent preliminary hearings. I can press this button and stop all audio. At issue in that particular debate was whether to permit preliminary hearings because, perhaps ironically, some of the framers did not care for them. But the Constitution, it must be recalled, was not adopted by the convention, but by the votes that ratified it. Just because the delegate from Shushone, do you guys see this shit? This is a fucking bumbling piece of um, collegiate bullshit. And I guarantee you this shit came from Cole Berger. I guarantee you. All this ancient shit that you learn in college is, is fresh on his mind. And he demanded his lawyer write this horse shit. And if I didn't think he did it before... It just shows you what we're working with here. Again, this is never, show me where this has ever been an argument before beyond a reasonable doubt for the, for the um, secret jury. Just because the delegate from Shushone was unaware of the field code and its import in uh, 2019, and its import hardly means the voters were not the fact that literally every grand jury case that the Supreme Court considered until Edmondson involved the court noting that the prosecutors, for some reason that they could not fathom, were using beyond a reasonable doubt standard would tend to show that the people of this state believed in that standard. Really, beyond a reasonable doubt for getting indicted, you jackass. Even the common schoolboy knows that. It's just probable. It's basically like this. All right, these people were murdered. Okay, well, show me what you got. Show me what you got. And then they show them that this jackass who likes, he was just going for drives at night, you know. He just happened to be driving by a murder house, happened to be circling it. Happened to have been circling it before. Happened to have his DNA in the fucking house. All right. 
So yeah, that's probable for me. No, we want beyond a reasonable doubt. Get the fuck out of here. The state claims the Idaho Supreme Court and Gasper rejects the plain language of the statute, perhaps, but it gives no grounds as to why it did so. And as it was dicta, it is of no help to the state's argument. Oh, sure. Klumsky is a more complicated matter, similar to the state's hodgepodge argument here. You want to talk about a hodgepodge argument? I think we need DJ Drano to clear the shit out of this drain. The California Supreme Court makes various claims to try to overcome the plain language of the statute. It begins with the plain language, but uses the definition of warrant from 1980, which at the time and still today specifically states an indictment can be dismissed, can be, can be dismissed if it lacks probable cause. But of course, Brian Kohlberger's did not a has no such language. The point of fact that language was adopted in 1949. Thus, it is no surprise that the court goes on to cite in a number of cases, all post-1949. The court then calls the holding in tender, went to the quality of evidence in tender. What, what are they talking about? Is that a technical term? Or does that mean actual, is that like a dating website? Went to the quality of evidence instead of the standard, which makes little sense, particularly in view of the history of the field codes and their champion in the state of California, who has previously noted in the defense's brief wrote tender. That's a medical terminology. It would be rather, it would be a rather large mistake for the state of Idaho to consider Klumsky a persuasive authority as to its own statutes unmodified since territorial lines are now able to be viewed in terms of their origin. The Idaho Supreme Court cannot overrule statutes by adopting rules on the same subject. The state's final argument is that Idaho Code and Idaho Criminal Rule share the same title and address the same issue, sufficiency of evidence to warrant indictment. The rule explicitly sets the standard of proof as probable cause. The statute can and therefore must be read to do the same. Statutes and rules that can be read together without conflicts must be read in that way. This is an accurate quote. However, it is misleading without the context of the paragraph preceding the analysis. And I'm not going to read it. State versus Garner, the court in Garner goes to some points to show a lack of conflict in the state and rule at issue in the case, a statute and rule, nothing at all like what it is at issue before this court. The court then must consider whether this is a substantive or procedural issue. The state next argues that the standard of proof is procedural matter rather than a substantive one to get there. The state relies on a concurrence by a former federal jurist, a United States Supreme court case involving choice of law an AEDPA decision by the United States Supreme Court that burdens of proof differ from standards, that only Idaho can decide whether the standard of a grand jury is procedural or substantive. It should be noted that if the state is correct as to the last point, the first three are irrelevant. Stating then with the second to last point, it is true that the burden of proof differs from the standard of proof. Standard of proof, 1857, the degree or level of proof demanded in a specific case such as beyond a reasonable doubt or by a preponderance of the evidence, a rule about the quality of the evidence that a party must bring forward to prevail. Burden of proof, a party's duty to prove a disputed assertion or charge, a proposition regarding which of the two contending litigants loses when there is no evidence on a question or 
when the evidence is simply too difficult to find. The burden of proof includes both the burden of persuasion and the burden of production, also termed evidentiary burden, evidentiary burden, honest probandi, C, shifting the burden of proof. All right, I'm not reading all this shit. I'm not reading Black's Law Dictionary. Black's Law Dictionary, noted by Black's Law Dictionary, simply going by the word burden or standard is unhelpful. How many more fucking pages of this do I have? Way too many. Let's go to the last. Because we all want to know where this is going. Hold on. Mr. Kohlberger asserts a theory the law allows and seeks remedy this court can grant. The state's final argument, this is the state's argument, is that erroneous instructions to a grand jury do not permit either dismissal or to treat the indictment as a presentment. State's brief at 11.13, once again, a torturous path to this conclusion must be tread. First, the state's claim only statutory basis for dismissal can affect a grand jury relying on a case from 1927. While the defense is typically interested in the past, the state already noted that in the Edmonton, the court went beyond what the statute permits. The defense already explained why. Of course, like Idaho, have gone beyond the statutes to find due process concerns attached to grand juries. Defense's brief at 18, the state likely realizing that the argument has little likelihood of success, then shifts to arguing the prejudice must be shown. First, Mr. Kohlberger disagrees. Yes, the cases counsel cited are for trial juries. However, there is simply no credible argument to be made that the state may mislead a grand jury as to the standard of proof and rely on the indictment it produces, it procures. Additionally, it makes little sense that a defendant deprived of his right to counsel for a preliminary hearing will doom his eventual conviction, but a defendant given a grand jury told it may indict a ham sandwich has no recourse. To deprive the accused of the fundamental right has natural consequences. Second, Mr. Kohlberger will demonstrate in a separate motion the prejudice that resulted from the erroneous instruction in this matter. Finally, the state argues it can always seek another indictment. There is no way for this court to treat this indictment as a presentment. The law is replete with courts treating legal documents masquerading as one thing as what they actually are. The state's argument that the language in IC does not give courts the power to prevent resubmission of a case to a grand jury is simply inaccurate. The Idaho Supreme Court found that a court can refuse some resubmission. The opinions of various district courts are not persuasive authority. Really. The state also appends to its decision three district court opinions claiming they are persuasive authority. Certainly all these respectable jurists may have attempted to tackle these issues, but they did not have the benefit of Mr. Kohlberger's briefing and research. Did you hear this? They did not have the benefit of Mr. Kohlberger's briefing and research elucidating where the beyond a reasonable doubt standard for grand juries originated and how it's been treated by prosecutors in course ever since. This is beautiful. They didn't have the benefit of his education and his brilliance. Wow. It appears that the state has called from these decisions much of his argument, and there is nothing within them that has not been addressed above. Thus, the defense respectfully asks this court, approach this subject with an open mind. Well, good luck to that. Don't worry, guys, I got more.
You know you love it. All right, we already read this one. Oh, God. Okay, so this is the one we read last time. But there's been another piece of paperwork that I find very interesting, and this is that. Today, which happens to be the first, there. What am I missing here? Have I missed anything? In the chat room, I like to say hello to Lisa Maxwell, Electra, Laura, Norma Doyle, Norma Jean, Sue Mac, DJ Drano. Let me see if we have anything new that has been coming out since we've been talking about this. Should have something breaking. So I got paperwork today that the, I don't have anything new. Are you guys kidding me? What the hell is this about? Brian Kohlberger claims media are focused on his crotch as he demands court camera ban. Well, the media today are having a meeting, and it was supposed to be open, man. We were supposed to get a link to where even we could be, and it was supposed to be open to everybody. The media raised, you know, the constitutional argument that they have the constitutional right, and the rights of the many outweigh the rights of the one. I'm talking about the constitutional right to be able to report live on the scene, you know, be able to have those cameras in there. So they made it to where none, instead of it being a judicial thing as much, they were going to have the media's lawyer in there arguing for it today. I'm going to see if it was open. Hold on. I'm looking at my cross. I think everybody in America, if he gets found guilty, we should be in a line. He should be there. And we should all get to kick him in the ass. All right. So what am I looking for? Uh, Court TV. Brian. K. Baja. K. Baja, Baja, Baja. They're supposed to. All right, looking real quick, seeing if they have an update. Because the media was supposed to go in there today. I haven't heard anything yet. I don't see anything out, period, at all about it. Whether they're going to have the cameras in court, I don't believe this is a big deal. I believe they are going to have the trial in court. I mean, this is so fucking stupid, it blows my mind. Literally, my eyeballs are about to bleed. So they have Trump's trial televised to everybody, which is fine, whatever. But they're not going to have Brian's 
because his fucking feelings might be hurt. Fuck your feelings, Brian. Fuck your feelings. You know, we're going to find out at the end of this what we could find. All right. Here's what we could find. Just like we did in the Ted Bundy trial. He's the guiltiest son of a bitch that ever walked around on two legs. Then you have these whole years. He had everybody fucking jumping through hoops and windows because of his fucking rise. And he knows very damn well what he fucking did. So. I'm not the only one fed up. Hot Ham says I'm fed up at Idaho too at this point. I hate the whole. I won't even drive through Idaho, man, because I don't want it. their law system sucks. It is so bass awkward. You know, here's what I think is going to happen. I thought about this really hard lately. Um, I don't know if I. I think I, I talked about it in my morning show. By the way, guys, I do a live show every morning. 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. on iHeartRadio. There's a link there below the video. Check that out. I'm live, guys, every morning. And then it replays again 7 to 9 at night. Not tonight because we have DJs on. But here's what's going to happen. I know a coward when I see one, all right? Brian Kohlberger is a ballless, gutless, scum-sucking wonder, all right? He doesn't give a care about anybody but himself. He doesn't care about his family. This guy's a fucking shark, okay? And he got caught. He messed up. It might be his first time or not. We're going to find out about that. We're going to look into Dennis Rader today. For example, he's more prolific, certainly, than Brian Kohlberger. But he's no less of a dipshit. And they're finding that he did more things... All right. So, all right. So, what happens with a gutless, ballless wonder? Well, he's just playing the game. He's getting everything he can. All right. You think you don't know what they have on him, and they haven't told you everything. And I looked at, I got something I'm about to release in a video. All right. And I didn't believe it at first. I talked shit about the woman who barely talked about it then i got this thing that i got and i'm like holy shit this son of a bitch has no balls none here's what he's gonna do and this just happened in another case in las vegas with a man who beheaded another man and he drugged that shit on for two years and it came the day before he was going on trial and then He took a plea deal. He took a plea deal because they are going to shoot Brian so full of holes. And you guys that think he's not guilty, once you actually see all the evidence that they have that he can't explain away with his only goddamn thing he said that he he likes to fucking drive around by himself. Which he didn't lie, by the way. He does, as he chooses fucking targets, because they have evidence that he was choosing other targets. It doesn't matter if you don't think he did it. It doesn't matter if you think things aren't fair for him. And the argument, well, what if it was you in that? Wouldn't you want to do everything? It wouldn't fucking happen to me. There's no way in hell I'm praying around a bunch of college girls and shit. Doing drugs, being in the drug scene, fuck that. 
There's no fucking way. It would have to be something completely fucking different. His balls are going to get real tight as we get closer, and he doesn't have anything else because he doesn't. And they, they're going to be able to come up with a whole lot more. A whole lot more. Especially in this day and age when everybody's on social media saying a bunch of dumb shit. So this is what's going to happen. He's going to probably take a plea deal. Yeah, I did it. And it doesn't matter what you say. Because here's what's going to happen that day. You thought he was innocent. You swore that he was innocent. And he is going to be guilty as the day is long. And everybody's going to see it. Nobody's going to doubt it because then you're going to see the evidence. You're going to be like, oh, well, in all these months, you talk shit. All these months, you took, you talk shit. And now you look like a goddamn fool. Now, what do I think? Do I think he did it? I don't see any other people there. And, and for you f- people... They're going after a non-harsh. What the fuck is wrong with you? You're, you're smarter than a whole fucking team of FBI agents and police? Because you're 250 fucking pounds behind the fucking camera? Showing beauty tips and shit? Or afraid to show your face and you call yourself doctor? I got a name for you, Dr. Dipshit. And what's going to fucking happen? Guilty as hell. Not a person in America is going to doubt it when they see the information. You're going to be like, oh, well, my bad. Fuck off. All right, let me continue here. How's everybody doing? You guys all right? Good. I hope everybody's doing fine. There's some beverages there if you want some, some popcorn. And there's some bowls of Fruit Loops there. Let me see what other... This, this is gonna be, this show is going to be so far buried, so far buried. No one's ever going to find it, other than members. What do we got here? This is the one where they signed it. Where yeah, we we already went over this one. All right, so that's all we got, guys. That's all we're talking about. Brian Kohlberger. We got another hour, guys. I got a lot of other stories to go over with you. I'm cool, guys. I'm zen. I'm zen. <sighs> got some crazy shit. We are the elite few. We are the elite few, many penny. Damn, we got like three left. I ran off everybody else. DJ Jane, I was like, fuck this shit, this, this fucking guy. I don't know if I want to be on this station. Well, if you don't want to be in this station, then you're going to miss. Your girl, Ashley Banfield. All right, so here's what I want to do. I want to play the videos that we missed last time we were on because things weren't working right. So we're going to go through some BT, BTK things. All right, so. But police think. 
If you guys don't want to call in and talk to me, the phone line is still open, 325-261-0892. If anybody has the courage about them to come up here on panel, please, not with your camera, just your audio. Can't have anybody in here prettier than me, and that's about everybody. I think there could be at least five more. His daughter thinks... Except for Ashley. There could be hundreds. On paper... Ashley, Ashley or Laura. You're killed 10 people because that's what he cops to. But police think there could be at least five more. His daughter thinks there could be hundreds. The five that could be linked to Dennis Rader were actually posted by his daughter, Carrie Rawson. Let me just name the victims. The first one is Cynthia Cindy Kenny from Pawhuska, Oklahoma. She disappeared in 1976, never seen again. Then there's Mary Lang from Hayes, Kansas, disappeared in 1983. Shauna Garber from McDonald County, Missouri, disappeared in 1990. And then two other unnamed cases. Uh, one is sort of an unsolved murder in Kansas that Dennis Rader referred to as Project Bell. And an unsolved violent crime known as Oklahoma case number two. Those are the five that, you know, investigators are sort of looking into as possibilities. But they're that first one, that first one that I named, Cindy Kinney, Cynthia Kinney. 16-year-old cheerleader, 1976, she leaves her parents' laundromat she's never seen again. And Dennis Rader writes all about Bad Wash Day, one of his projects. He used to call murders projects. His journal, his book manuscript that they found all talk about Bad Wash Day. And so investigators really think it could be that he's talking about Cindy Kinney. And when they dug at his house twice, they found ligatures and chains. They found trinkets and hobby items. And they think they might be connected to Cindy Kinney. So finding resolution on Cindy Kinney's murder after almost half a century would be massive. Not only to the law enforcement who've been working on this case for so long, but family members and friends. Friends in particular, like Tawana Bollinger, close friend of Cindy Kinney, spent years searching for her. And she is live with me here tonight. Tawana, thank you for being here. I wanted to ask you about these recent developments and the very real possibility that the sheriffs think they may actually be able to connect Dennis Rader to your friend's disappearance. Well, I'll tell you what, I was excited when I found out about it. Um, in the beginning, you Damn, I was expecting that voice. I didn't know what to think about it because, you know, Cindy's not the person solved murder in Pasco. So, you know, I really just didn't know. But the more evidence I hear, the more I'm almost convinced he is. I'm not trying to be mean or anything. I swear. I just wasn't expecting a voice deeper than mine. Hello, baby. You spent years driving yes. around Pahaska and the surrounding communities. Walk me through those, those decades that you kept looking for her. We drove back roads. We drove out to oil rigs. We drove pastures. We walked that lake. I mean, 
year after year after year, just hoping, just hoping to find something. And we just never did. Does she have any family um, still alive, uh, aware of these new developments? Yes, her mom and dad are still alive. Uh, we're just not wanting to disturb them right now. And she's got cousins over in Pasco. So presumably that I'm sure I'm sure they're aware of it over there. But that's what I was going to say. Presumably the, the sheriffs are, you know, treating them with kid gloves as they continue this work and hopefully finding resolution for this family. Again, it's been almost a half century that they have not seen her. Can you tell me about the last time you saw Cindy? Do you know I've been asked this question more than once? And it's been a lot of years, but I've thought and thought and thought about it. And I just cannot pinpoint the last time I seen her. The last time I spent a significant amount of time with her was during cheerleading camp that summer. But um, that wasn't the very last time I seen her, I'm sure. You know, Pasca's so small, we pass each other every day. Sure. And she was 16 and a cheerleader when she disappeared yes. from, from the laundromat. Can I ask you, Tawana, what justice and closure um, would feel like after this much time, knowing that Dennis Rader's already serving 10 life sentences? You know, if we could just find out the truth to get some closure for her family, I really highly doubt if we'll ever find her body. It's been too many years. It'd be but, something else, though, right? If you if you could find that as well, the connection to Raider and the location that yes. would be um, that would be remarkable. Um, I hope we can stay yes. in touch, Tuan. I really appreciate you being on um, and sharing your thoughts about Cindy with us because she seemed like a really sweet sixteen-year-old cheerleader. She was. She was. She never had an enemy, and everybody loved her, and that's why this was such a big shock to everybody because she was just so well loved. And um, I really, I really appreciate you having me on tonight. Well, Tawana Bollinger, we're thankful that you did this. Thank you in her honor Thanks. as well. Much appreciated. Yeah. Good lordy. We got more about BTK. Um, so, one of the most interesting freaking videos I've seen in a long time was the guy that was making the blood portrait for BTK. BTK. I mean. It's kind of a bull crap premise as to why he was on Ashley's show, but man, it was it was interesting. All right, go away, Ashley. I, it just starts on its own now. I don't know. Because that's what she cops to. But police think there could be at least five more. His daughter thinks there could be hundreds. The five that could be linked to Dennis Rader were actually posted by his daughter, Carrie Rawson. Let me just name the victims. The first one is Cynthia Cindy Kinney from Pawhuska, Oklahoma. She disappeared in 1976, never seen again. Then there's Mary Lang from Hayes, Kansas, disappeared in 1983. Shauna Garber from McDonald County, Missouri, disappeared in 1990. And then two other unnamed cases. Uh, one is sort of an unsolved murder in Kansas that Dennis Rader referred to as Project Bell and an unsolved violent crime known as Oklahoma case number two. Those are the five that, you know, investigators are sort of looking into as possibilities. But they're that first one, that first one that I named, Cindy Kinney, Cynthia Kinney. Uh, 
16-year-old cheerleader. 1976, she leaves her parents' laundromat she's never seen again. And Dennis Rader writes all about Bad Wash Day, one of his projects. He used to call murders projects. His journal, his book manuscript that they found all talk about Bad Wash Day. And so investigators really think it could be that he's talking about Cindy Kinney. And when they dug at his house twice, they found ligatures and chains. They found trinkets and hobby items. And they think they might be connected to Cindy Kinney. So finding resolution on Cindy Kinney's murder after almost half a century would be massive. Not only to the law enforcement who've been working on this case for so long, but family members and friends. Friends in particular, like Tawana Bollinger, close friend of Cindy Kinney, spent years searching for her. And she is live with me here tonight. Tawana, thank you for being here. I wanted to ask you about these recent developments and the very all right we just watched tawana tawana all right now this is crazy man oh chilling photos of btk resurfaces on investigation one of the reasons we're having the members only lives is because whenever i go live youtube doesn't monetize it so it why should i give it to everybody when i can do over some of the things we cover i could do individual little 10 minute videos and give those out for people to watch and have that monetized i don't need the whole live monetized so that is why we're having members only live it's youtube's fault it's because of stuff like this man i'm going to show it i don't care if we get paid to do it or not chilling photos of btk resurfaces do you realize what kind of photos of this guy this guy would like wear panties hang himself upside down from a tree with a tampon in his ass. I can't talk about that stuff on regular YouTube. Matter of fact, those of you maybe have friends, um, I don't know you guys have friends that are in the chat room that aren't members sometimes, you can go to our website, midnightrad.io, hit the watch live and you can watch it there on our website, midnightrad.io. For God's sakes, please subscribe or watch the podcast. I really need your help. Go to the about page and there's a Spotify link. If you could, if you could check that out, I put extra things on there also. So you're going to want to check that out. Now this, guys, I've not watched this yet. I don't know what kind of pictures we're about to see of Dennis Rader. The thought of this man, you know, free balling into tutu makes me want to vomit. I don't know what's about to happen. So please just understand it's a Fruit Loop Friday and all things fly everywhere. So here we go. Come on, Ashley. Bound in the same ways that he left his victims. These were, these were trophies and prizes for himself to relive his murders after they were long over. He would actually put himself in his victim's lingerie. He would use some of their personal items and he would actually recreate whether they were hanging upside down or whether they were bound and gagged and blindfolded or whether they were tied up or whether they were half buried. He reenacted all of this, so big warning. Here is your biggest warning. I gave you one before. You've had plenty of time. Please get the kids out of the room. I'm going to show you Dennis Rader's photos of him reenacting. All right, main mod, close your eyes. If you're watching, I know you're not, though. Acting his murders. There it is. I can't be any more clear to you about how graphic and upsetting these pictures are. This is one of them where he half buried himself. This is another one where he had a wig and weird makeup and lingerie of his kills. This is another one bound uh, after extensive torture and buried. This is one. Kind of makes me wonder if Brian Kohlberger has some videos of him, you know, like this. You got to wonder, 
you know, all those people say, he didn't do it. He didn't you, you might just talk about my Brian. And then, you know, you have pictures of him parading around in pink panties, you know, and whatever. Holding knives or whatever the hell else he did. And they're going to show that during the trial and they'll be like, uh, uh. Let's try and get that banner down. Okay, this is one hanging upside down. This is another one hanging from a tree. Again, these are all Dennis Rader himself in these photos. And there's some interesting clues in these photos. So interesting, in fact, that these old photos of Dennis Raiders are now being used to yield clues to solve cold cases that I think I done lost my appetite, y'all. They think might be actually tied to him. So again, you need to reiterate, if you're just tuning in, these are not the victims. These that is because you are a sicko, hot ham. Sir Dennis Rader reenacting what he did to his victims using some of their personal effects, their clothing, and some of the items that he may have actually had with him when um, they were killed. There are three cases that these photos might actually pertain to, might actually have evidence to link to Dennis Rader. One is Shauna Garber, 22 years old. She was found near Pineville, Missouri, killed December 1990. Okay, uh, she'd been actually she was likely killed in October, found in December of 1990 found sexually assaulted and restrained. A half dozen different bindings were on her. Uh, there's another case, a cold case in Oklahoma that's unsolved. The photos may pertain to that case as well. And then Guys, this is so far from the person I am. It is so far from my mind. And the only reason I go over this or I write about things like this is because it horrifies me. And, and the fact that people have sexual gratification over things like this, over hurting people, over binding people, over taking people's lives. Well, my number one goal in life is to be left alone. I would rather nothing else than to live in the country, have an underground bunker that's like 50 feet underground, and to live there nice and safe with only people that can access me that I let in. That is my idea of being gratified so having the exact opposite of that just just blows my mind that people have those neural pathways to be excited about doing things like this and then there's a third case that's being investigated regarding those photos and that is a missing woman from hayes kansas who went missing in 1983 uh, these are cases we had not heard of before now i want to bring in osage county um, oklahoma sheriff eddie verdon who's been working on the dig that we brought to you last week that yielded a lot of evidence sheriff i am so fascinated by this new aspect of this investigation look it's new to us i know it's not new to you but can you give me a bit of an indication of what is in these photos that is informative to you while looking at these cold cases yes well of, of course when we started digging through the files we uh we located those polaroids that he had taken himself and there was a series of nine photos that he took on one of his convicted uh, cases out of Wichita, and in in the series of nine, he has written that he is wearing articles from three different projects. One of them, of which was was the Davis murder there in in Wichita, and then he named two other projects that that some of that clothing was from. And as we went further into that, then we developed or found or located nine more photographs that were dated shortly after another project 
that he had marked in October, uh, which he called Mossy Lake, which we believe is, is possibly related to, to the Garber case. And I just want to be clear for our viewers who didn't see our programs uh, last week, it's become clear that Dennis Rader uses the word project for his murders. And he uses codes, which we'll get into a little bit later, for um, confirmed kills and, and projects in his writings. But when you talk about a project, I know that there was um, something called Project Dogside. I think that was Doris Davis killed in January of 1991. Did you believe that there were items of, of clothing depicted in the reenactment pictures of Doris uh, Davis and, and her murder? Again, I can't say there were kills, but he noted specifically three projects, one of them being what he called Dogside, and then another one he called Project Prairie, and another one, I believe, was Project Cat. So he noted that he used those articles in those photographs. So then when we found a series of nine more that were dated within, within days of what they believed Garber or when Garber was killed, uh, we started looking at the items that he was wearing in that and matched that, those items back to a special map that he mailed to law enforcement back at the time, uh, where he marked it as 160 and then marked a, a spot on that map for a location for the victim's body to be placed in the woods. And in those photographs, uh, we, had, we had been looking at another unsolved case in Oklahoma and that victim was missing four different items uh, that they were last seen with. Uh, one of them was a red blanket, one was a black blouse. And in those photographs, those, there, there's a red blanket that appears in one of those pictures and a black blouse. And then in a couple of the evidence photographs taken when they served a warrant 2005, there's a blue suitcase that matches the description uh, of the one that victim was last seen with, and then also a purse that matches the description. And again, those are just descriptions in the original report from 1990, but if you go to the timeline that he had or the notebook where he had those, he has a note in there for, for an Oklahoma case. He's got an Oklahoma kidnapping, and then for the uh, the time period when the Oklahoma victim was last seen, he's got a notation of a project. Uh, and then when you find, you know, four items that match the description in that report, you've got to really look deeper into that. So to be clear, the, the Hayes, Kansas victim, um, is it is it true you, you you found information that he was watching a location where she worked and that he purchased a mask near where she worked? Yes, and in, in in some of his other notations, he, he makes mention of a location that she had, had worked at from the information we received uh, and then other indications of, of him digging a grave along the river somewhere in that area. So again, you know, we, we can only say what, what we found and what it leads us to believe and the investigation is going to continue. Is there some kind of sensitivity behind not releasing the names of the um, Hayes, Kansas victim and the Oklahoma victim? You know, absolutely. Those, those cases are not our jurisdiction and not our cases. So, 
you know, I'll, I'll leave that up to the agencies that are, are working those cases. We've provided those agencies the information that we feel pertains to their cases and, of course, are willing to help anyway at any request. But, but again, that's, that's going to be their decision, uh, you know, on where, on where they go and what they do with the investigation. We're just providing them the information that we put together through our investigation that we feel like could relate to their Sheriff, let me ask you, we talked last week about the dig um, at Dennis Rader's former home and what it yielded, the binding devices you showed us, the, the pantyhose with the knots in them that he would have used as a ligature. Uh, you mentioned there was jewelry and hobby items and other things like perhaps chains, other binding devices. Are you further along today than when we spoke last week in finding evidentiary value from those um, from those pieces of evidence that link to Dennis Rader? Well, we, we we're looking into several different things, but as far as finding the exact owner of those items, of course, you know, I don't know if we'll ever get the answer to that. Dennis is the only one that truly knows where he got those items and what they came from. But what we're trying to do is is find cases where similar items were, were possibly reported uh, belonging to the victim or, or something related to the victim or that case that could have been. And then, of course, open that, that you know, maybe some of these items might yield some DNA or, or something. And, and again, you know, the, the length of time they were in the ground, I can't tell you whether it's going to retain anything or not, but uh, we're certainly going to look at it very close. Again, we're also working, trying to get a list of the items that were collected in the original search warrant back in 05 to see if any DNA testing was done on them, and if not, trying to you know move forward to get DNA testing on on any of the bindings or or clothing or anything that was collected at that time that hasn't been off and hadn't checked to see if it matches to any of these other victims that we're looking at. Sheriff Verdon, I hope that um, you find resolution on these cold cases for these families and also for your officers. You've been working a long time on it. Uh, stay in touch with us, please. We're going to stay on the story. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Sheriff Eddie Verdon joining us. Thank you, Ashley. I will take it from here. Hey, guys. This is a developing story, and we've talked about it on the uh, Midnight in the Morning show. Sheriff Gaylor says, um, well... He will kill again. He will kill again if we don't catch him. And he could end up becoming a... Bye, Ashley. Ah, have you guys watched that? You know, it's been a while. I think YouTube took it off. Oh, great. I had to go back in. <laughs> I think YouTube took this off, this show, um, this channel that I'm about to talk about. It's called Eight Passages. I think they took it out in uh february or january have you guys seen this Charles who claimed out window for help leads to arrest of eight passengers mother and her business partner we got to check this out this is crazy i've got two different stories i want to go over on this Michaelie, thank you a controversial youtube star out of ivan's has been arrested and charged with aggravated child abuse Police were called after a neighbor reported a child escaped through the window to get help, which led to the arrest of the child's mother, Ruby Frank. Fox 13 News reporter Lucy Nelson has the details on the alarming conditions they say the children were found in. 
without bail and behind bars, sits a woman who once freely roamed around her home filming her family in front of up to 2.3 million subscribers. Ruby Frank, known as a momfluencer, documented the life of her husband and six children in southern Utah in her YouTube channel. Uh-oh, a momfluencer just like Hot Ham Radio. Eight Passengers, which was taken down earlier this year. Come Wednesday, she resurfaced in the public eye when one of her children escaped through a window and knocked on a neighbor's door, requesting food and water. I got a hold of the police statement, which I'm holding right here. It says when the child arrived at the neighbor's home, the child had duct tape around his wrists and ankles. The neighbor immediately called police and officers say when they arrived, that child had open wounds and was so malnourished, they immediately transported him to the hospital. Officers would later find another child in the same home, that home belonging to Frank's business partner, Jody Hildebrandt, who had a parent counseling service called Connections. She was arrested as well. 90% of the time when a child is hurt, it's by someone that they know and love. Director of Prevent Child Abuse Utah, Laurie Ann Thorpe, says it's a tough reality to realize that abusers are often relatives or someone close to a family. Frank's oldest daughter, Sherry Frank, who is 20 years old, posted to her public Instagram today a photo of police with the caption, finally. She added another story saying, me and my family are so glad justice is being served. We've been trying to tell the police and CPS for years about this and so glad they finally decided to step up. Kids are safe, but there's a long road ahead. Please keep them in your prayers and also respect their privacy. I think it's really important to understand that children on average will disclose abuse three times before they get help or before they're believed. So it's really on us. All right, I'm going to stop it right there. There's this other video right here. I went over this on my morning show. I went went through it in depth. The father, he hasn't been, nobody heard anything from him since their YouTube channel got shut down. There was a lot of, let's see, eight passengers, um, YouTube haters, where they would have videos breaking down everything they say. Uh, sometimes you'll see that happen a lot on youtube i think i remember molly go lightly used to have a lot of those and this was in the same strain as that if you look up eight passengers right now on youtube you're going to see all the hate channels and i don't know what happened in that time they got eight passengers taken off youtube when they had like two million two million uh subscribers right that's a whole lot that's a lot of money too by the way anyway so i heard from the father yesterday and I let me cut this off real quick. I played the video. Keep it quilted. Me. And uh, well, anyway, he he and his lawyer are trying to get custody of the children. Uh, he was a uh, I don't know if he moved out of the house or what. I think he did at the time. The mother moved in with this uh, psychologist woman, child psychologist who had her license suspended for 18 months in 2020, by the way. And the reason why the psychologist, her friend, her business partner, as they call it, had her license suspended is because now these people involved in this are all part of the Mormon religion in Utah. And she illegally and unethically, she divulged to the elders in the church that one of her clients had pornography problem issues. So she got her license suspended for 18 months. And apparently after eight passengers was off, they had this other channel where it was called like something cessations. 
It was, what was her name? Whatever her, Connie cessation, Connie sensations. Like cessation, like you're quitting smoking or something, smoking cessation class. But anyway, so they were doing this, this new YouTube channel together, her and that psychologist. And, uh, man, it was just, they would say things like, you shouldn't tell your children and you should not love your children. Um, what do you call it? There shouldn't, there should be limits on your love to your children is what she said. Uh, different things. And it was really disturbing. They had a video out last Wednesday, as a matter of fact, where they said that it's bad to keep dirty, hidden, dirty little secrets. Anyway, I'm going to play this. We're going to talk about it after this. And I might find one of the articles that I read during the morning show, which you all guys should be watching because this is a portable radio station, guys. If people listen to me right now, you can listen to me on your car radio, for God's sakes. If it's an issue, if it's an issue listening to me at work, let me know, and I'll stop saying the word fuck and damn and shit so much. Just let me know. I'll say crunk and fudge. Just let me know, guys. It's all what you guys, the Fruit Loops, want. Just let me know. Disturbing details. Shocking allegations as Utah mommy blogger with millions of followers is arrested, accused of child abuse. Disturbing details have surfaced and the reaction has been swift. New special Shelby Lofton in Washington County now tracking this developing story. Police say this is the house a young child escaped from and went to a neighbor's house asking for food and water. They said that that child was severely malnourished along with another one they found inside the same home. Now we talked to neighbors in this area and they said that they don't really know the homeowner of this home very well, but she's in business with a woman who has gained a huge following online with YouTube videos getting hundreds of thousands of views. So being a mom's a full-time job, but Popular Utah family vlogger Ruby Frankie was arrested Wednesday. The 41-year-old mother of six is known for sharing clips of her children's daily lives on their now defunct YouTube channel, A Passengers. Today, she and her business I swear I'm defunct. I've been saying it wrong for the whole damn week. I've been saying Frank is Frankie. And I've been saying, what about uh, Bethany? Wait, Bethany Funk. Maybe it is Bethany Funky. Jody Hildebrand are accused of abusing some of them. No. My bedroom was taken away. All right, you look at her, you're like, oh, this is kind of a attractive woman. And then you, if you see a picture of her next to her husband, it's like, my God, her and her husband look alike. If you put makeup on him and you shave her head, you have twins. For seven months, and then you give it back like a couple weeks ago. I don't think our viewers know that. <laughs> you sleeping on a beanbag. I'm sleeping on a beanbag. <laughs> Police say a clearly malnourished 12-year-old child crawled out of the window of Hildebrand's Ivan's area home. A neighbor called 911 when he showed up at their house asking for food and water. Officers say his wrists were duct taped. He had wounds from being tied up across his body. Investigators say they found a 10-year-old girl inside the same house who was also malnourished. Frankie's family vlogs ended without a specific reason given. Frankie now works for the Utah County Company Connections, along with Hildebrandt. It's described as a treatment program for those with mental health and addiction issues. Connections has been the subject of a lot of controversy, specifically for its teachings on parenting. Many of Frankie's siblings are also online content creators. Her sisters released a social media statement saying, quote, 
Ruby was arrested, which needed to happen. Jody was arrested, which needed to happen. The kids are now safe. Frankie's eldest daughter, Sherry, posted this picture on Instagram with the caption, finally. In the next slide, she said her family is glad justice was served. She wrote, quote, we've been trying to tell police and CPS for years about this, end quote. The Santa Clara Ivins Police Department did not provide an update on the children's condition. According to the Washington County Sheriff's Office, Frankie is still in custody. At this point, we know the Santa Clara Ivins Police Department is working with the Springville Police Department on this case. We will continue to bring you up. So here I am in Texas, sweating my ever-loving ass off, and I'm looking at this place, and it looks like it's sitting at the gates of hell. Holy God, it looks hot there. And you know what? In winter, I hear it's hella cold. It's as we get them both down here in southern Utah and up in Utah County. Shelby Lofton, KSL 5 News. At Amazon Freight, we know the only thing. Trying to sneak a commercial on Mr. Schmemens. What the hell? Damn, this one's like a f law and crimes talking about this. Ah. Uh. Fine, we'll watch a little bit more and then I got a whole lot more. I won't trust myself and you should not trust me either because I don't have any problem lying to you. I don't have any problem dropping responsibility, which is also deception. A popular parenting YouTuber and mom of six is arrested for child abuse alongside her business partner, renowned former homicide. She like this just blows my freaking mind. From where I sit as being me and you sit as being you. If you guys found out about who the hell Gerald Smimmons is behind the scenes, you would be nothing but like, wow, that guy does all that? That guy did that? Not like, oh, my God. You know, I'm, I'm never down with that. I can't believe people can be such assholes. Detective Phil Waters comes on to analyze this disturbing case. Welcome to Sidebar, presented by Law and Crime. I'm Jesse Weber. I got to talk to you right now about this story that is just absolutely shocking to hear. Hey, there you go, electrics out of mic like you. Have you ever heard of Ruby Frank? You might have, because she and her husband launched this YouTube channel called Eight Passengers back in 2015. And it was all about the couple and their six children. Very popular. I think it had over 2 million subscribers. It focused on parenting and homeschooling. It was interesting because Frank and her husband are members of the Church of Jesus Christ. See, look, shave her head and put makeup on him. What do you got? Christ of Latter-day Saints. Seems all well and good, right? Like wholesome. He say Church of uh, Latter-day Saints. Values? Well, Church of Latter-day Saints. That's what he said. Hold on. Well, it turns out that Frank and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt, who founded a life counseling organization known as Connexions, previously known as Moms of Truth. Connexions. I thought it was Sissiats. The two of them have been arrested out in Utah. And for what of all things? Child abuse. That's right. Police received a call at almost 11 o'clock at night on August 30th, someone asking for help. And when police all right, guys, I'm sorry. I got to cut this off because we have some other stories that I just simply must go over. And I got about mm, 17 more minutes to do it before hot, uh, before hot hand, before who, who the hell is it? Friday night. What DJ is it? 
I'm sorry. I get confused sometimes. Primrose. Prim, Prim's playlist comes on in about 17 minutes. Sorry, God. All right. Man, I went over this story a long time ago before any of you guys were Fruit Loops. That's how long it was. Uh, matter of fact, I put an article on our website, midnightrad.io. Man accused of California samurai sword beheading will stand trial. That's right. He beheaded his ex-girlfriend in the street with a samurai sword and they did have a child together a sand car is close to uh dj one of our djs there in california a san carlos woman accused killer will stand trial for murder jose rafa salona 34 of hayward is accused of beheading his ex-girlfriend with a samurai sword in front of multiple witnesses on september 8th 2022 the victim 27 year old Karina Castro was a mother of two daughters. He was the father of her youngest daughter. On Tuesday, a San Mateo County judge received reports from two doctors who determined that he was sane and he allegedly killed Castro. He was sane when he killed her. The mother, the murder trial is scheduled to begin on October 27th. I will be covering it here. He pled not guilty by region Reason of insanity because he doesn't have any balls about him. On the day of the homicide, Castro's young daughters were inside her apartment when he confronted his ex-girlfriend outside the... I'm sorry, this guy, this pisses me off so bad. I almost even don't... I don't even want to read it, and I'll tell you why. This is not the definition of crazy. This is a definition of asshole. Now, the definition of crazy, you can go to my website, and I've got reports of women who rape. All right, I don't mean to be too graphic on here, but if you're a woman, and it's always younger women between 20, 22, and 27, all right? And you, it's a Friday night. You don't go out with your friends. You say, I feel like raping a dude. You know, I'm not just going to rape a dude. Casually, it's going to be somebody I don't know. I'm going to break into that house on the corner, somebody I don't know, and go rape some big dude. That's the definition of crazy. What the hell am I talking about? Go to my website, midnightrad.io, women that rape. This isn't a joke. This happens. There's something mentally going on here. That is crazy. All right? You're pissed off and you decide to kill your ex. You decide to kill your lover. That is not crazy. That is not crazy. Come on, guys. As a society, we need to kick this shit out of our heads that is not crazy let's say you go to the circus and you decide i'm gonna go bite the balls off that elephant that is crazy there's a difference come on guys these are cowards 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 all right that is a service announcement from your uncle gerald So the doctors declared him as saying he pleaded not guilty. Well, good luck with that. On the day of the homicide, Castro's young daughters were inside her apartment when he confronted his ex-girlfriend outside Laurel Street. Investigators said a heated argument escalated until he slashed Castro several times with a sword that he happened to brought with him just for such an occasion because he's not crazy. He remains in a redwood cell, jail with no bell. Inmate records show he will return to court on September 12th for a pretrial conference. No comments. 
except mine. Davis, this this is freaking crazy, guys. All right. Now you might have heard of those other things, but check this out. This is absolutely crazy. This is absolutely crazy. I don't even have a category for this. I've never heard of anything like this. My mind is still swimming. I'm bringing it to you, my friend, my friends, my Fruit Loops. Davis School counselor admits sharing info about student her husband later raped. A Davis School District Elementary School psychologist is in her plea and pleading guilty to a misdemeanor, a misdemeanor charge after investigators say she disclosed an 11-year-old girl personal information that may have led to her rape. Nicole Stokes, 41, of South Weber, pleaded guilty August 22nd to unauthorized collecting, sharing, or use of private student data, a Class A misdemeanor. She entered a plea for 18 months, meaning the second district judge, David Williams, will dismiss the charge against her as she successfully completes all terms of her plea deal. What the fuck? I'm sure she's going to lose her license. All right, check this out and what information she gave and how that information Mation led to the rape of this 11-year-old. Her charge is connected to one of multiple cases against her ex-husband, Philip Brandon Stokes, 42. He was sentenced in November to two concurrent terms of 25 years to life in the Utah State Prison for Rape. What the hell is going on in Utah? Rape of a child and sodomy on a child, first-degree felonies, as well as 364 days in the Davis County Jail for lewdness involving a child, a Class A misdemeanor. Wow misdemeanors when it should be death in early 2021 the davis county sheriff's office and the fbi opened an investigation into a man later identified as philip stokes contacting an 11 year old girl over tiktok messages between the two show stokes sending sexually explicit photos of himself and asking the girl for nude photos which she sent charging documents state he also had the girl meet him at a park where investigators say he sexually assaulted her. Agents from the sheriff's office and the FBI Child Exploitation Task Force served a search warrant at Stokes' residence where he admitted to meeting the victim at least twice. Stokes told police he came to know the girl because his then-wife was her counselor at a Davis County Elementary School, according to charging documents, and they're only going to charge her with a misdemeanor and give her... And she has a plea deal to where the racist off of her fucking record. He told police the couple was walking. It should be were the couple were walking in a neighborhood where Natalie Stokes pointed out the girl identified her as someone she'd be working with and said she had problems at school. The charge of state. He later told police he learned the girl was on TikTok. I guess it started as just curiosity. Like, I want to see what this is all about. And so I looked her, I looked up her videos. And you know the rest, Philip Stokes said. Philip Stokes initially faced 14 total state charges related to child sexual abuse and dealing in materials harmful to a minor, but 11 of them were dropped in a plea deal. Wow. He also faced, he got a sweetheart deal, but his wife. How do you guys feel about this? Do you even care? The phone number's right there. You can leave me a message. Send me an email, midnightrad.io101 at gmail.com. 
He also faces federal charges relating to production of child pornography, coercion, and enticement. As part of the Stokes plea, she must avoid any further violations of the law, complete a 20-page essay on the obligations of maintaining patient confidentiality, pay fees of $100 to the court and $150 to the Davis County Attorney's Office, complete 96 hours of community service, and submit to DNA testing. During that time, Stokes also cannot be employed anywhere that she would work with minors under the age of 18, just during the time, just during this time. The Davis School District told KSL it put Stokes on administrative leave in August, immediately immediately after it was notified of the police investigation. Court documents show Natalie Phillips Stokes divorced that same month. Here's some comments. Sophie Rose says, good grief. The first thing you learn is patient, student, confidentiality. You never identify the students, clients, patients you're working with. You might talk about the general situation, but never specifics, never anything that would identify the individual. This guy should not have been given a plea deal. He deserves all the counts. And finally, she is incompetent and married a monster. Counselor Hill thyself. Hopefully she carried malpractice insurance because this child or someone trusted on her behalf needs to hire a lawyer and sue both of these people and the school district. That young girl is going to need a lot of help continuing and moving on to you guys in the chat room. Unbelievable. The hell is going on in Utah. Oh my God. Something's in the water. Kim French must be because this shit is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. It is crazy. Indiana man arrested for Power Wheels Jeep DUI. An Indiana man is facing a felony charge after he was caught operating a Power Wheels Jeep while under the influence. We've seen cases of people caught operating everything from a bicycle to a horse and buggy while intoxicated. But we have to say this might be a first for such an infraction while driving a Power Wheels toy. Actually, this is the third time I've heard of these stories. According to Indiana State Police, on the night of August 23rd, a trooper who was patrolling in the southwest part of the state spotted a little Jeep being driven by 51-year-old man John McGee. The most concerning part of the odd scenario was that the Power Wheels had no lights or reflectors and was difficult to see. You know, this makes me interesting. This makes me interested. What if I made a Power Wheels have a real motor with lights and reflectors and anybody could see it? What if I make a power wheel street legal and go down a main highway? Would it be legal then? Fair enough, the guy could have been plowed over by a driver who couldn't see him, but would still be suspicious if a guy had functioning lights on a children's toy he was driving in the road. Basically, we'd expect there was something seriously off about anyone who thinks driving such a thing in the street at night or in the day. The trooper suspected McGee to fill sobriety test. He subjected McGee. Which the man failed, of course. They investigated his condition further. The Indiana trooper took McGee to the hospital where it was determined the man was under the influence of meth and marijuana and alcohol. And there we have it. The true reason why, why the guy thought driving a power wheels on the road was a good idea. Hell, he thought he was going about 200 miles an hour. Now McGee is facing a felony charge for operating a vehicle while intoxicated with a prior conviction but the big question we have is who's the owner of the power wheels jeep did mckee a 51 year old man buy it for himself or maybe a grandchild did he steal it from a neighbor that part of the story is being shrouded in mystery maybe i'll call him up and have him here on the show 
Louisiana woman stabbed grandfather in the face after grandparents asked her to shower. Such a sweet thing. A Louisiana woman was arrested after allegedly attacking her grandfather and stabbing him in the face after her grandparents said, ooh, your ass stank, and they confronted her about lack of showering and hygiene schedule. The Caddo Parish Sheriff's Office said in a press release that they arrested Carrington Elsie Harris after an investigation revealed the 22-year-old through a violent tantrum after her grandfather confronted her over her hygienic patterns. Deputies said they arrived at the house in Kenneth, Louisiana on a domestic disturbance call. The elderly couple told law enforcement that they argued with their grandchild after they asked her to shower. All the police deputies that went there to arrest her said, Damn, you're right, her ass do stink. Pictured new Loch Ness monster, Loch Ness monster sighting. Check this out. For a celebrity creature sought for nearly a century by army of investigators and has proven annoyingly elusive. By now, the images of what has been claimed to be the Loch Ness monster have emerged with one investigator hailing them as the most exciting ever. The photographs were taken in 2018, but were kept secret as the photographer feared public ridicule. As she should. She Kelly, she Kelly, who took the images and claimed the creature was moving at steady speed, was persuaded to go public following a high-profile search for the monster last weekend. Miss Kelly, a translator, said she and her husband Scott had been taking photographs of the area after having lunch in the Doors Inn on the banks of the loch while on family holiday, 2018. There are the pictures. How many of you guys believe in the Loch Ness monster? Do you guys believe in the Loch Ness Monster? I don't give a fuck about the Loch Ness Monster. You know, at the end of the day, I'm still Gerald Schmimmons. I'll still do a radio show at 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. We still have Fruit Loop Friday. What does it matter to me? You know, what about the Chupacabra, which they found? They found this animal that they'd never found before, and they identified it as a Chupacabra. It's like, holy shit, it's a, a real thing. Do you guys remember? Yeah, it was on the news for about 15 minutes. Nobody remembers. Nobody cares. This animal exists. Who cares? And we continue. I got about three minutes. Let's see if we can do it. Two more stories left. Can Schmemmons do it? This one's freaking crazy. South Carolina woman charged after traffic stop. Search reveals nearly 1.5 kilograms of fentanyl. Isn't she up? Oh, my gosh. I can't believe she did it. A South Carolina woman was arrested last week after authorities allegedly discovered nearly 1,500 grams of fentanyl while she was being monitored for drug selling activities. Spartanburg resident Caitlin Lee Abernathy, 25, was arrested Thursday, August 24, after a traffic shop revealed 941 grams of fentanyl, 20 grams of meth, one Glock pistol, one SKS rifle. The Spartanburg office police announced Wednesday Abernathy was already under surveillance when she was stopped on Candle Nut Lane in the Bowling Springs area. The sheriff Offset a canine alerted deputies of the drug at the stop. I can't believe she did it. You know, it's bad enough she has red hair, so I always calling her that redheaded bitch, and now she's a redheaded bitch with a tattoo. Easy to spot, easy to find. Final story of the night. That was it. Thank you all for joining me on this Fruit Loop Friday. We are one minute away. From the return of what? Of Prim's playlist. I can't wait to hear it. Thank you, guys, for tuning in. I will let you know when the next show is going to be. I don't think there's going to be another one until Monday. Thank you for showing up. It's always awesome to have a special members-only show. Until next time, 
all my best.